can encourage you to take your seats again. Uh, that'd be very helpful. Um, after our focus, uh, rightly so, o- uh, over Easter, around the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we want to keep focusing on the impact of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We believe this isn't just something we celebrate once a year, but something we live in daily of the reality of. And to help us do that, we're looking at this uh, book written by uh, Paul, a letter to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding area, originally called Ephesians. However, we've kind of given it a different title to give us something to hook it on as we've been exploring this letter, where we've uh, entitled this whole series we're in, Looking at Ephesians, Crafted, as what we're discovering week on week is that we have been lovingly made for purpose. And my hope is that by the end of this morning, with in the weakness of my voice and the way that I can speak and articulate myself, that if nothing else, you leave with a un- deeper understanding that you, whether you know that your life is centered around Jesus' life, death, and resurrection or not, are lovingly made for purpose. Uh, and if that happens, I'm a happy bunny. If it doesn't happen, then you can come and slap me on the face. But we'll see where we go. And if you do slap me on the face, just make it slightly gentle because I'm a bit of a wimp. Um, in terms of this morning, though, I want to start off, actually, by getting you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine something, this hold all. Now, that's an easy imagination moment, isn't it? Because you can see that, so you can imagine it. But the imagination part is this. I want you to imagine that this hold all is full of one million pounds. Not dollars. Pounds. A million pounds. Obviously, it's going to be a slightly more inflated. So we're using our imagination. And in it, in true, amazing Oasis style, we're going to do a giveaway. Immediately Luke's hands up saying, I'm up for this one. But if you've not been around, when we do giveaways, uh, normally we have kind of an envelope under a chair and, and someone finds the envelope and says, oh, I've got this. And so on Easter Sunday, we gave away a meal at Pizza Express. And so a family got to go away uh, during the Easter week to a great meal paid for courtesy of Oasis Church. It's always worth turning up at Easter. Um, now, in it, imagine for a moment, though, that today what was, in grabs, what was up for grabs was a million pounds. And just imagine that actually you were the person who gets the envelope. And at that point, it truly is remarkable, because at that point, I then hand you the holdall and say, here you go, a million pounds. It's yours. No strings attacked. I've been in touch with the government. They've said, yeah, you can have it tax-free. It's amazing. Million pound cash. There you go. Now, at that point, you might grab it and you might think, wow, this is pretty amazing. Maybe you do a quick scarper and you say, see ya. Uh, I'm going to go somewhere else now. Um, maybe you think, hey, at the end of this morning, given I've got a million pounds cash, how about we all head over to the Mac and I'll buy you a coffee? I'm splashing out. But what if... And this is where maybe the bigger question, what if you got the million pounds cash and now your reality has changed? Because my guess is for everyone of us in this room that if you had a million pounds cash in a bag as you left this morning, your life has now changed. My life would change if I had a million pounds cash. So my reality has changed. But the question is, do we then live out of that reality change? Does the million pounds that we've got in a bag actually begin to affect the rest of our lives? Because the only way it's ever going to affect us is if we actually start to spend the cash is in the bag. But there's a big question in that. And that is, will we spend it? See, for some of us who think, well, of course I'm going to go and spend it. Of course I'm going to go and shape and I'm going to immediately splash out. I'm going to go down the garage and buy a smart car. 
But what if I said, though, there's a potential that you might get home, <laughs> drop it on the floor, and kick it under the bed? And know that you've got a million pounds under the bed, but it doesn't really affect your day-to-day -day existence. And what we're going to look at today in Ephesians is actually a section of Scripture where Paul is beginning to pose the same question. Not about a million pounds cast, but something that is way more fundamentally life-changing, which is the new reality anyone lives in with their life centered on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the question he's going to be posing and encouraging us to live in with, live, uh, pondering the question and answering it, is that we don't just live knowing there's a reality, we then live out of that reality. And that's what I'm hoping we're going to grasp this morning. See, what we're going to find is Paul's been through this letter, kind of started at a point in the first couple of chapters, revealing just the wonder of what this new reality is in basing your life on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, how it fundamentally changes everything about who we are as individuals. And from that place of the first couple of chapters of doing that, he draws us in then of saying, well, then this impacts how you live together as a community of believers. And at this point, what he's going to do is draw it in and zoom in and says, but it also impacts how you live as individuals. And for me, I think this impact of how we live as individuals it's probably one of the greatest battlefields every single one of us kind of ventures into in respect to our pursuit of understanding who we are in Jesus and living out of that as a reality. And I think, as I put here, the greatest battlefield for most of us is learning to live in the reality of the life we have in Christ. And it's that that I think is really important to pause and explore and we're going to do that both today and we're going to do it over the next few weeks as we look at this next bit of Ephesians. And how we're going to do that is we're going to look today at how this new life impacts our minds. Then we're going to go on to next week, look at how it impacts our emotions. Then we're going to look at how it impacts the words that we speak. And then we're going to look at how it impacts the actions we take. But as I said, I want to start this morning with our minds. And what we're going to find is and discover is that Paul wants us to understand this starting point of our mind is key because everything else will hang off it. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. If you haven't, it always appears on the screens. There isn't so we are on some campaign so that people never read their Bibles. It's just in order that we can all see the scripture. So hopefully it'll turn up. Verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Now this first section, this first part, is a pretty bleak picture of what Paul's saying ultimately it looks like if you take it to its nth degree, to live without your life centered on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul doesn't ever mince his words, and he's saying that this is a reality that every single one of us live like. And maybe you're here this morning saying, well, are you therefore saying, because I haven't yet centered my life on Jesus, this is how I'm living? Well, I'd say maybe it's worth exploring, because I think that is what it pushed to, and we'll explore that a bit more in a moment. Paul continues, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, Paul understands there's a reality that we get to live in now, that Jesus has afforded us of this brand new life. But it's a reality we need to therefore live out of. And therefore he starts this whole passage, so if you can come back one, we will get there. Um, it's because the guys on the screen know exactly where I'm heading, and they never know quite when I'm going to get there. So their job is unbelievably hard. Because uh, if you can imagine, there's just chaos in my mind, and they've got to try and interpret it. So anyway, it starts off, verse 17. Paul strongly wants us to get hold of something. So he says, so I tell you this. And he says, actually, no, and I'm not just telling you it. I insist in it. I insist in you understanding that there is a way that you're to live out of the reality that you're in. And you've got to be purposeful in it. And then he kind of backs up and says, this isn't just an insisting on my behalf. It isn't me, but Paul saying, I think this is a good model for life. Actually, this is an instruction that I've had revealed to me by Jesus himself, the Lord. Saying Jesus is calling us to not just know we've got a reality, but to live out of this reality. He says this new reality, verse 21, he says, is Jesus. Ultimately, that's what this new life is all about. It is Jesus. And Paul kind of says it's Jesus, but we know it through him. So the new life is Jesus, and we get it through him. And he plays on these words to bring this sense of intimacy in the relationship we've got. So he starts off with Christ. He says, all this is because of Christ. And then finishes it off with saying, but it's Jesus. And he does it, one, to show the intimacy of us understanding. It isn't Christ who's just our saviour. It's Jesus who also we're caught up in relationship with. He names Jesus both to bring a sense of familiarity and relationship, but also to remind us that Jesus is the ultimate model. That Jesus is God, but also is God who came and lived amongst us and modelled what this new life was like. And so he uses this word. And interestingly, this is one of the only times he uses the word Jesus to name Jesus in the whole of Ephesians. But in it, what Paul's goal is, is for us to understand there is a reality we live in now. And as always, Paul kind of paints the picture. He says, right, in understanding reality, you need to understand the old reality and the new reality. And in understanding the old and the new, you then need to get hold of how you need to think differently to live in light of the new. So that's basically what we're going to do now. So first of all, as the slide showed, we're going to look at reality. Verse 22, 24 says this, verse 22, the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and 24, the new self created to be like God. Paul says there's these two ways of living. An old way, which was before we centered our life on Jesus' death, uh, life and resurrection, and the new way that's a result of that. And what Paul does is he then quickly spells out what that old way of life was. As he says, well, that old way of life was basically with us at the center. Where the whole purpose of our life was ourselves. He says, well, what that did is it caused us to curve in on ourselves. And in this curving in on ourselves, it caused us to continuously be looking for satisfaction. And yet never quite finding it. And so he uses these quite graphic descriptions to say how it's this desire to continuously look look to things. To experiences. To base our life on uh, ways of living 
that however much we get of it, it never quite satisfies. So then we push for more and more and more extremes. And Paul says that this way of living where you're at the center that curves you in on yourself, that causes you to never live fully satisfied, is that then in turn causes it to become corrupted, destructive. And so in the end, what we find is there's this way of old way of living that was ultimately destructive to ourselves and to others. And Paul, because he doesn't mince his words, he says, well, that was an old way of life. And the reason he uses old isn't just to say it's something that was past, but it's always a way of depicting what it was. Because that way, that word old does mean what we see in the natural. Is it means, it's a word that means it's decrepit. It's aging. It's withering away. And Paul says, that's, that's what that life was. It was withering away. So if I was to show you a picture of me when I arrived in Birmingham, 1998 slash 1999, I looked slightly younger and more sprightly than I do today. My hair wasn't as grey. There was some grey, because I started going grey when I was 22, because it's a sign of wisdom. No, um, that's what I continuously tell myself. But also, there was less bags under my eyes. My cheeks weren't as thick. My waist wasn't as wide. All of that's happened. I've become slightly more decrepit. And that's what's happening in the natural. It will continue to happen. This body will continue to age. However many creams I splash on or dye my hair, I'm still going to age. I can't hide that process. I am getting older. And with age comes that sense of wasting away. Energy levels aren't what they were. And Paul says that's, that's what it is. This old way of life is one that is wasting away. And Paul says, look, that's what was. But before we get on to the new, we need to understand something about the old. And that is that we're dead to the old. If we've centered our life on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we need to understand that that old life is dead and buried. Why? Because we need to put other bits of scripture, other letters Paul wrote, over this one. So if we go to Romans 6, verse 2 to 4, Paul writes this. We are those who have died to sin. The old way of life, us at the center. And can we, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that's all, of, that's all of us who were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What's Paul saying here? He's saying there's a vivid picture that is there to continuously remind any of us who've centered our life on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and that is baptism. And baptism in water is this vivid picture of a grave, of both being buried into something and raised to something. Now, rightly so, when we get to baptisms, we celebrate the moment of people coming out of the water. One is because we haven't killed someone. We've brought them up so they can still breathe. But two is because we know when they've come out of the water, we're celebrating the fact that what has gone on internally of them turning and centering their lives on Jesus is now being expressed externally. And then coming out of the water, we're celebrating with them saying, oh, you've got this brand new life in Jesus. This is amazing. The danger is in us celebrating the new life, we forget that when they went under, what they were depicting as what had happened in the spiritual is the old life with them at the center is dead. It's like a grave. It's like, in some ways, we should have a moment of mourning as they go under, saying, oh, yeah, this person's dead. Dead to themselves, dead to them being at the center. 
And because they're dead, that's buried. Isn't that suddenly it's going to flick back? It isn't like Jack Bauer in 24, where every time he dies, you know, five minutes later, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, boop, 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 he's back. Now, this isn't that moment. It isn't a Jack Bauer moment. It's definitely dead and buried. And when we get baptized, it's for us to, be, to have a ceremony of remembrance, of understanding, oh, yeah, there's this moment for me, 1988, probably before some of you were ever born. I got baptized in water. And in it, I remember, oh, yeah, old Adrian, with him at the center, he died then. And a new agent came out with Jesus at the center. That's what I remember. It what had already happened internally as my heart had been given, as I trusted fully in who Jesus is. Baptism became this outworking publicly of what had gone in internally. If you've never been baptized, I, I can't but at this point say, please get baptized. Because it is so significant as a moment of understanding what has gone on internally, being revealed to others, that you have died, and now you've got this new life. And it's so important we understand that, because before we get onto the new life, we need to understand the old one is dead. But the thing is, we're not left in nothingness. It isn't we're left with just this old life dead. It's also that we're then risen, risen into a new life. And Paul wants us to understand that this new life is one with Jesus at the center. It's one that is revealed by Jesus. It's one that is through Jesus. It's one that causes us to be like God. Paul has kind of used the first couple of chapters, first three chapters of this letter, to kind of reveal just the wonder of what this life looks like. So I thought I'd go through just quickly do it. You know, we can look at the whole of Scripture and say, this is what this amazing new life we have in Jesus looks like. And yet, we haven't got time to do that, so we'll just quickly do it in terms of the first three chapters of this letter. What we discover is, it means this. So if we go to the next slide, it means that we're chosen, blameless, and shameless. Ephesians 1.4. This new life means we're loved, predestined, and adopted. Ephesians 1.5. It means that we're redeemed, forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 means we've got purpose. Ephesians 1.9 it means there's power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living within us. Ephesians 1.19 to 20, that we're alive by grace. There is nothing we did to get to this new life. It was all because of Jesus. Ephesians 2.5. It's the next one, that we are each, every single one of us, God's handiwork. Ephesians 2.10. We are continuously accepted. Ephesians 2.13, that we forever belong to God. Ephesians 2.19, that we're those that now cause God to dwell in us and we dwell with God. Ephesians 2.22, Ephesians 3.12 means that we get to understand that we have this new life of total freedom and confidence before God. Ephesians 3.19, that we are eternally loved with a love that we can spend the rest of eternity exploring. We'll never ever get to the ends of it. And Ephesians 4.7, we are every single one of us uniquely gifted by God. Now, before those of you are thinking, how do I scribble all these down? This week, we're going to get all of these verses out so we can all use them, which we'll go on to see in a moment, why we do need to use them. But it, this is the new life that Paul has been painting. This is like the holdall of all holdalls. I saying, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is the life, the reality you get to live out from. And it fundamentally blows my mind that all of these different characteristics, and these are just the ones that Paul pens within Ephesians 1 to 3, chapters 1 to 3. We could then look at other parts of the New Testament, other parts of the Old Testament, and find way more things that reveal this whole new life. 
And Paul says, this is a reality to live from. The old life, oh, that's dead and buried. The new life is the reality you get to live from now. But Paul wants us to take care. He wants us to take care because he understands that there's a potential problem. A potential problem that means that we can have the new reality but fail to live out from it. There's a potential that we can cause ourselves to end up living like we're still the old person. And that can happen through different ways. And Paul kind of uses some language to kind of help understand that. So in verse 22 and 24, he uses his language of like clothing yourself. And he says, well, you need to put off your old self and put on your new self. Knowing that, it can feel confusing. because so you can think, well, no, Paul, you've just said the old self, when you look at Romans 6, is dead. It's dead and buried. It's under the ground. Done. Decomposing by itself down there. Old self gone. I'm in a new reality, a new reality of Jesus. And the life that he's then given us, all that stuff in Ephesians 1 to 3, absolutely phenomenal. And yet Paul says, yeah, but you need to take care. Take care that you therefore live in this reality. Which means that you need to be conscious that you don't put on the stuff that's buried but rather that you put on this new life and live within it and live out of it. See, Paul was a realist. You understand that for every single one of us, there is a potential of us knowing this reality, but then not living with it in the bounds of it. It can happen through circumstances. Circumstances can happen. We can suddenly think, actually, in this moment, it doesn't feel like that. I say, how do I live in the reality of this new life where my circumstances seem to kind of point to a far different scenario. It can happen through us doing what I call the Wallace and Gromit moment. So I don't know if you've ever seen Wallace and Gromit, The Wrong Trousers. Basically, you suddenly realize that you've kind of gone back and put on the wrong set of trousers. Literally, it's the ones that were buried. And you've forgotten that you're in a new reality and you think you're still the old person. And I don't know if you've ever seen Wallace and Gromit in the wrong trousers. What happens when Wallace gets in the wrong trousers is he has no control and he just becomes destructive to him and to others. And that's what happens when you end up going back to what was dead and buried, is it becomes destructive to you and to others. The other thing that happens is I think Paul, again, doesn't mince his words of these, is that because that's dead and buried, there's something morbid about digging something up that's already decomposing and putting it back on. And saying, why would you do that? Why would you wear something that's dead when you've got this whole new reality that's alive? And Paul says, therefore, to take care, you need to understand that it starts with understanding that your mind matters. That how we think matters. The reality we live in means that we have to pay attention to it. So verse 23 says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. And I'd say that our minds are probably the biggest battlefield in understanding the reality of this new life we have in Jesus. See, all of us in this room, if we've centered our lives on Jesus, can hear all these things about who we are in Jesus. Oh yeah, this sounds brilliant. Yeah, we've just sung some songs. That sounds great. Then you get into the reality of day-to-day existence. And it's sometimes hard to remember 
the reality of this new life we have in Jesus within day-to-day existence. And Paul wants us to understand that we need to use our minds to bring to, to the forefront the reality that we now live in. Which is why he uses like, the clothing analogy of taking off and putting it on. Because, believe it or not, I thought about getting dressed this morning. Now, some of you might think, well, you didn't think very much, did you? But I thought about it. Now, if I hadn't thought about getting dressed, it would be a very vulnerable exercise for me in front now. The kind of thing of my nightmares. But the reality is, I thought about getting dressed. And Paul wants us to understand, we need to think about the reality we're living from and in. Now, in this, it can then start to think, well, is this then like some sort of self-help, power of the mind thing? And Paul says, you know, the attitude of your minds. Well, for this, we need again to put on another lens of Scripture to help us understand what Paul is talking about here. So if we put up a different lens, which is Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 is probably, I always say this, probably one of the Scriptures that has most shaped my life. There's probably three, and this is one of the top three that have shaped me more than anything in my pursuit of understanding this life I get to explore and understand of who I am in Jesus. And this has fundamentally changed me. So Romans 12, verses 1 to 2 says this. Paul writes again, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Sounds pretty good. Offer yourself as a spiritual act of worship. What does that look like? That's what I always wonder. How? How, Paul? How? He says, hold on, Adrian. Here it comes. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That how we get to understand the reality that we get to live in because of Jesus through the attitude of our minds is by seeing our minds being transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, that we begin to think a different way. We begin to not get defined by the world around us, by our past, the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us, our present, the circumstances we're facing at this point in time, the future, what we're hoping for. Brother, we get to see our minds renewed, to live from the reality of how God sees us, of who we are because of Jesus. Now, the thing is, this takes action. It isn't a renewing, it isn't your mind will be renewed by some weird way. The sight, you know, some kind of UFO comes in of the Holy Spirit. And says, new mind, new mind. Oh, I've got a new mind. No, it's not that. It's that we need to do something. It's that we take action in this. Now, in it, when we come to take action, I say there's a few things to remember. Firstly, this is this is an act of worship. This isn't some sort of brain retraining exercise. Paul says, so we go to the next slide, it is just an act of worship. It's just as spiritual as this coming, and we can tend to think, oh yeah, worship's the thing you do once a week on a Sunday. Someone stands at the front, they usually have to have a guitar, otherwise it's not authentic. And they play a guitar, we sing some songs, that's worship. No, no. Worship at its core is me making less of myself and more of God. Every single person worships something. They're making more of something and less of other things. For some people, it's their family. Some people, it's money. Some people, it's uh, their selves. Some people, it's the want for our experience. For us who found our faith in, in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is we want to make much of God. That's our act of worship. is say, God, we want you to be more in our life and us and less. And Paul says, actually, when you get to this point, 
of saying, I want to consider more and more of the reality I am now living in because of God. This is an act of worship. Why? Because I'm realizing in this moment that actually I'm most satisfied in you, God. And as I realize I'm most satisfied in you, what that's doing is it's making less of me and more of you. God, you're the one being glorified. Therefore, this isn't a mind over matter moment. This isn't some sort of self-help exercise. This is a moment of deep worship of who God is. So that's the first thing, worship. Second thing is ongoing. This renewing of our mind, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, is something that is continuous. It's something that we need to be daily, moment by moment, getting hold of. And saying, actually, this is the reality I get to live in. It means going back to those passages in Ephesians. If we go to the next slide. Let's just take the first one. It means I get to daily wake up. And I'm not a morning person, so I'm not going to lie to you. I don't immediately jump out of the bed thinking, praise God, let's read the Bible. I basically wake up, go, to everyone around me. So I've, I'm married to my wife, Lucy, who got three kids. And I basically try not to shout at them. That's what my goal is. So I wake up, then I get as much coffee as I can in my body. And at that point, my brain switches on. And at that point, I then read Ephesians 1.4. For God, you chose me, me, before the whole creation of everything, to be holy and blameless in, my, in your sight. It's at that point, I'm starting to renew my mind. I'm not determined by what's going to go on today. I'm not going to be uh, shaped by the experiences. I'm not going to be shaped by my concerns. I'm not being shaped by what I've done. I'm not going to be shaped by what I'm hoping for. I'm being shaped in this moment by reminding myself the reality. I am chosen, blameless, and shameless. That's quite a good start, isn't it? Three coffees, chosen, blameless, and shameless. I can get on with the day for that. It doesn't stop there, though. I can carry on. Here's the reality, though. I don't always do that. Let me tell you a couple of stories. 20 years ago. Let's go to that one. Again, some of you think, man, you're so old. 20 years ago, I get to live in a moment of probably my greatest success and one of my good failures. So greatest success moment is I'm, whatever age I am, early 20, something, 20, 22. Um, and I get the privilege of, in the church I'm involved in, which is an oasis, it's a church in my hometown of Bedford, three or 400 people, and I get to lead that church within the meeting that we're in. First ever time I'm ever doing it. And, it. and it goes really well. I get to the end of that meeting and think, this is amazing. Everyone else is kind of coming around and going, you're amazing, this is great. You know, I'm going out of that going, man, I am definitely loved by God. So I can see why he predestined me and adopted me. Man, definitely I'm chosen. No way anyone could bring any blame against me. Shameless. Power? Of course. Alive by grace? Yes, of course, grace is evident in me. No one even needs to question that. I'm leaving thinking top of the world, success. I am amazing. Get in my car. Get a passenger in, talking to them, drive out of the car park, look left, I smack into a car coming from the right, right off the other car. First major accident I've had, I've had many others after that. Um, <laughs> honestly, look at the cars I drive. Uh, don't ever let me drive yours. Um, here's the point though, at this moment, I go from thinking, reality, look at my success, I am amazing, to this moment of 
total frailty. I knew it was my fault. And I totally shaved, just demolished this person's car. Now, probably because they were going a little quick. Coming out of a church car park. I can't hide the fact of who I am. I see this person, they're, they're kind of kind to me. No one is injured. But internally, what's going on is, you absolute idiot. Who do you think you are? Like, you're always destined to whatever success you do, you'll always then do something to break it because you're broken. Actually, this is the reality of who you are. You think that you're something when in actual fact you're not. You just break stuff. I can remember after exchanging details and it all got sorted, I remember getting home about 10 that evening and Lucy and I weren't married at that point and we were phoning her and saying, oh man, I'm just feeling rubbish and explain what had happened. And she said, as Lucy always does at these moments, she said, well, what does God think? And I was like, what do you mean? What does God think? As in, don't you want to join me? Don't you want to lay on some stuff that it's all of your backlog of all the failings I've got for you? Because look, this is a party where we get to celebrate the failings of Adrian Hurst. This isn't a party to do anything else. So please, could you pile them on? And all she keeps saying is, but what does God think? We hang up. And do you know what I did then? Is I put the TV on. I put the TV on and watched rubbish for two hours. After two hours, I turned the TV off and didn't feel any better. I didn't even know what I'd watched. It just felt numb. And just thought continuously, I am a total failure. Actually, by this point, it's kind of midnight. Always the best thoughts after midnight. I start to think, do you know what? I shouldn't ever show my face at church ever again. Who am I to think that I'm a follower of Jesus? All I do is just destructive stuff. I'm just a failure. And then because I have a weird body clock in which I don't ever know what time it is to go to sleep. I just fell asleep. <laughs> Firstly, wake up the next morning and just think, I am rubbish. And the niggling at the back of my head or mind is this little voice of Lucy and the Holy Spirit saying, what does God say? What does God say? And I spend the morning redoing, not just these verses, but a number of things. And starting to realize that my reality of who I am isn't defined by what I do. What externally is happening to me is being defined by this reality that Jesus has afforded me. But it happens by me grappling, getting hold of the truth of this new reality, and then starting to believe and trust it, and it takes time to do. Now in this, I could say, oh, that's 20 years ago. Look at me, all well done now. But let's look at last Friday. I get back after holiday, being on holiday for a week get back, have one day back at work, knew I got to do, right, preach for today, knew roughly what I wanted to do, but knew I needed to get some time to do it, wanted to catch up uh, with everything that had been going on, the wonderful life of Oasis, hear about different situations, and so I arrive. So what do I do? I get up, make sure my family's all right, and immediately get in uh, to upstairs where we work, speak to Gus, kind of chat for an hour or so, just catch up with everything, kind of immediately get on and start to plow into, what am I going to say on Sunday? How am I going to say it? As I'm getting through, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, you know, back in the land of living, age, you know, wisdom, font of all, you know, all of this, communicator extraordinaire, it's going to be amazing. But what's happening to me is by 11.30, I just feel pretty low, to be honest. I feel like the weight of everything 
And as I'm feeling the weight of different things, I suddenly remember what I'm preaching on and think, that's a bit stupid. Not your stupid. That was a bit stupid. You know how this works. Remember 20 years ago when you had a car accident? and blah, blah, blah. Actually, you need to remember that this is an ongoing process. We need to continuously start every day remembering who you are and live out from that place. Not pretend that you can keep going. So what do I do at that point? I don't like beat myself up, watch some TV. No, I go for a walk. That's what does it for me. So I go over to Cannon Hill Park. I spend an hour just walking around reminding myself of the reality of the life that I get to live in. And from that reality, I then get to exist from. See, renewing our mind means we have to take action. But we need to also remember other things that we don't do it alone. There's help. See, if we go to the next one, we could like think that we, it's all down to us. So yes, it's act of worship. Yes, we've got to kind of do it, uh, renewing our mind. But then we can think it's all down to us. But actually, it's not. So the reality is that this is a process that we don't do alone. We have the help. We have the help of one another. We have the help of understanding we're in community where we can get others to stand alongside us and say, I'm struggling to live out of the reality I'm in. Would you help me understand some more of the reality? But more than that, it is that we have the spirit of God living inside of us who's longing to lead us. Who's longing to cause us to understand in our thinking the reality we get to live out from. I had this great illustration on this, or read it just last week by John Ortberg. And he talks about the Holy Spirit being a bit like a sat-nav. And it's such a wonderful example. And I don't know if you've ever used a sat-nav driving. But a sat-nav obviously is always instructing you, hopefully a little bit ahead of the junctions of what you're to do next. So turn right now, turn right now, turn right now. And you're turning right. But there's those moments, I don't know if you've ever been here. I have to once a month go over to Milton Keynes. And I get to this point I, where I think I know better than the sat-nav. Milton Keynes, I don't know what it is, it's like a black hole. It's like the Bermuda Triangle where none of it makes sense. And you get there and I get to a point and think, I don't think the sat-nav's right at this point in time. I think I can make it. And so it's saying, turn right, turn right. I know, I don't need to turn right here. I can go straight on. And so I go straight on and then I might find myself lost in the midst of nothingness roundabout land. And at that point, I then think, Back to sat-nav. Now that moment, when you turn your sat-nav back on, it doesn't say, idiot, Adrian, you total failure. What are you doing? You should have listened to me. If you don't listen to me, you wouldn't be here. It just says, recalculating route. At the next available moment, please take a legal (laughs) U-turn. And that in reality is what the Holy Spirit's like. The Holy Spirit is continuously wanting to be within us in our journey. And it's continuously seeking to say, actually, within your mind, remember this. Remember this. Don't do that. Don't give yourself to that. Don't dig up the old life. Live in the new life. But even in the moments where we say, oh, no, 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 I've got it from here. I know how it goes. The Holy Spirit, when we come back and say, I tried to take some more control here. I didn't listen to your leading. The Holy Spirit never says, I told you so, you're an idiot. The Holy Spirit just says, come on, let's let's recalculate the route and let's take a U-turn and let's get back on route. 
This isn't something we have to do by ourselves. The Spirit is there longing to give us everything we need. Now, the thing is, today isn't about some big whoop-up to the end of saying, renew your minds, renew your minds. This is about a pattern of life. It's about saying from this moment on, for the afternoon, for the evening, for tomorrow, let's be those who understand that we're crafted anew. And it starts with our mind. And then we need to be those who continuously are bringing to the front of our minds this new reality we have through Jesus that we then get to live out of. Because we're never, we're never bringing it into our minds. We're going to easily forget it. So I want to leave us with just four questions. Four questions are this. Do you know this reality? The next one is, how are you doing in living within it? The next one, do you need, what do you need to do? And I'd say even now, be thinking, most of us can calculate these answers quite quickly. How am I doing in living in this reality of what Jesus has done for me? Most of us will go, all right, could do a bit better, because we're pretty fair on ourselves. All right, what's the could do better bit then? What do you need to do? I reckon for most of us, it's just that we simply need to pause once a day and remember that we're centered on a new reality afforded to us by Jesus. And I'd say for most of us, it will do us good to do that at the beginning of the day. And just say, I can't do that, man. man. Five minutes. Those verses will be out this week. Print them out. Stick them by your mirror. And as you're brushing your hair, teeth, whatever you do in front of a mirror. Maybe it's not a mirror. Maybe a mirror isn't something you like looking at. So maybe it's just on a wall somewhere. As you get in your breakfast cereal, you put it there. And just for that moment, you just say, that's what I need to remember. That's what needs to govern me today. This reality of where I live from. And then lastly, who do you need to help you live that way? Otherwise, can I just pray for us? And we'll end. Jesus, I thank you so much that you desire for us to have such a phenomenal life. That Jesus, you've afforded us such an amazing reality, a reality that is true now and a reality that we therefore get a lifetime to explore. And I pray, Jesus, would you cause us to understand that this isn't something we have to just be passive and passengers on, uh, that, Jesus, your desire is that you continuously are bringing to mind this reality we get to live from. And I pray, God, would you cause us to live out of this place more and more this coming week. I pray as we live... Uh, that way. I pray that it would cause others to taste and see how good it is. And I pray for anyone here this morning, uh, this afternoon, who hasn't known this reality. I pray, God, would you cause them to start to question how they could know this reality. I really ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen.